Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I have the extreme pleasure of sitting down with Jason English, who's the Senior Vice President and Global Salesforce Practice Leader at Publicis Sapien. Jason, excited to have you on the podcast today. Let's jump right into this. Can you take us through your career journey leading up until today? Yeah. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'll start. I'll start uh, back in the day. So I, I'm a journalist by training. Very uh, cool. So I have a Bachelor of Journalism degree and a Bachelor of uh, Arts and Political Science degree from the University of Missouri. So I, um, that was my first job was a journalist. I was a reporter and then an editor at a daily newspaper outside of Washington, DC. So actually probably my favorite job just because, uh, you know, you learn so much about society, life, how things work when you're covering, you know, uh, cops and courts in the morning and then, uh, boards of supervisor meetings and planning commission meetings in the evening. And then you're, you know, covering bank robberies and doing business stories about new businesses opening. So like all those, all those things. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, I did that for a few years and then, um, you know, we started having children and, you know, journalists don't make a ton of money, especially when you're young. So, uh, I, uh, I made the decision, uh, to jump into technology. And so I was like a, I don't know, like a customer success kind of person for a company that we built websites, uh, for, you know, for enterprises and for people. And, um, you know, this is like 1999, right? So like business was yeah. good, but then business was not good. And uh, <laughs> we, we realized that we needed to, you know, work on kind of business development and top of the funnel. So somebody had the brilliant idea of buying five licenses to this, uh, little known, you know, cloud computing, uh, company called salesforce.com. And so we bought five licenses and in my role, I ended up kind of just learning it. And, uh, there was nothing much to it. It was basically, you know, just like a contact, uh, you know, kind of a Rolodex online. Um, but anyway, so we, we use that to try to like organize ourselves around getting business because the dot-com bubble was bursting and we were just really, you know, trying to be more proactive anyway. So I learned salesforce.com back in 2000. I think we were cu- customer number 70 or so. Uh, so like really early and it was like really random. Well, uh, fast forward a couple of years, uh, we were on vacation in Colorado talking to my brother-in-law and, you know, he, you know, we're just talking about work and he's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're piloting the CRM system. And so that, that was interesting to me. And I was like, well, is it salesforce.com? Cause like, I know salesforce.com and he's like, nobody knows salesforce.com. <laughs> so this is like in 2003. He's like, do you want a job? You know, uh, literally like on the spot. So I'm on holiday. I take an interview. I get a job at a, at a big company in Colorado, move the family out there. And um, yeah, so we rolled out salesforce.com to about 3000 sales reps. At the time, it was the biggest uh, deployment that Salesforce had done. And so that would, that was the, that changed everything for me because uh, since then, so basically you know, 22 years, uh, but then 20 years kind of doing that kind of work. Uh, I've been in the Salesforce ecosystem 
And, um, and that's my role today at Publicis Sapien. I lead the Salesforce practice here. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I want to jump into right away. And maybe we start at the beginning with journalism, because I think this is definitely the first person with any sort of journalism background that I've had on the podcast. And there's a couple of things I want to ask about, you know, because it's very much a passion driven kind of space, profession and endeavor. Uh, at least I, I've found anyone who's I've interacted with, um, you know, talk a little bit about maybe, uh, you know, how you've been able to leverage the skill sets you developed there because you, you mentioned how much you enjoyed it in your career afterwards. And, and do you continue to see kind of the benefits of having such a different starting point than maybe the average person in technology? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think like for me, uh, I tend to not get too high or too low when it comes to like stress at work. Uh, because there's really nothing more stressful than being on deadline, you know, right. like and you're in the newsroom. And if you're either like writing a story, you know, coming back from a big meeting and you've got to get a story done for, you know, for, uh, before it goes to press, uh, or if you're an editor and you're trying to put the front page together, right? Like there's nothing quite like that adrenaline rush and the stress. So it's all, it's all a perspective. So when there's a big proposal due or there's a big meeting coming up, like I I'm able to kind of like, you know, manage through that. And, yeah. I, and I owe my, you know, it's a brief run, but like I owe the the few years uh, in journalism, you know, to helping me there. And then just like, just communication skills, you know, uh, writing, hopefully writing concisely, you know, briefly, you know, th- there's an art to writing a lead story in a, in a newspaper, you know, there's, yeah, you've got to, you know, you got to hit the, the bullets. Um, and so, some of those things obviously apply to emails. They apply to PowerPoint presentations. You know, they apply to, you know, different things. So I, I, I have, I, you know, I'm fortunate to have that training and to, um, yeah, to, to use that craft even in business and even in sales. A hundred percent. And I, I have to imagine also, you know, anything I've seen about the journalism space or, you know, or for example, I've had a couple of authors on, on the podcast, but the editing process can be pretty cutthroat too, right? Like you get lines crossed through stuff that you, you know, maybe felt pretty strongly about and you just have to deal with that. So, I mean, I, I have to imagine that as you're progressing in your career in, in the corporate world, technology world, you, you know, it probably thickens your skin quite a bit in terms of how you deal with, with the uh, editing of your, of your work and trying to refine it for clients and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it forces you to sort of just, you know, focus on the, the big things. Um, right. And that's helped me, you know, it's helped me and hopefully I can help people that I work with, you know, when you're talking to executives, you know, you, you can't, you know, you can't bury them in the details because they don't have time. They don't have the attention. So again, like focusing on those things um, is really important. And I think the other point I want to make too is um, I think curiosity is, uh, is really important in business, right? And so if you're a journalist, I think like the best journalists are, are, are curious just by right. nature. And so, you know, again, whether you're doing a, a puff piece about a new business or a personality that's in the community, or, you know, you're again on the scene of a crime, you know, you, you need to, to be aware of the questions to ask, uh, not just like, you know, questions with yes and no answers, but, you know, questions that really kind of open up uh, a lot of information. And I think like, especially in our world uh, with, with Publicis Sapient and, you know, when you're doing consulting, and you're trying to solve problems for companies and for leaders, right? That curiosity is so important. Um, you know, just to have that as part of your arsenal. Um, and it, 
I don't think it's something that you necessarily can train, although you can like, you know, learn about the right questions to ask. But I think that that's, that's really important in, in the work that we do. Yeah. And I, I, something I've experienced in my career, or at least I find resonance in clients is when, you know, I, I find myself to be a naturally curious person, but wearing that curiosity on your sleeve so that it kind of shows through in an authentic way. I find that clients often, um, you know, find comfort in the fact that you're actually, you actually care about figuring out and solving the problems that it's not just a, a job or work that you're doing. I'm curious if, if maybe you know, using the word curious, uh, if you found similar resonance in kind of some of the clients and stakeholders you've dealt with, if that curiosity really shows through. Yeah. They, they like, they, they know the difference between sort of, Hey, there's a checklist, you know, and like, you know, checklist of things that we've got to cover versus like, okay, I really want to learn your business. Uh, right. Tell me more, you know, tell me about your customer. Tell me about your customer's customer. Tell me, you know, what you think is, is working well, what you don't think is working well. Like they know the difference between just kind of going through the motions and really that, um, authentic curiosity. And I think that that sort of instills partnership and instills trust and, um, you know, I think that's, you know, that, 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 that what separates, you know, good consultants from not so good consultants. Absolutely. And, and you also, you mentioned that, so you're both a journalist or reporter and then uh, an editor afterwards. And so uh, that transition to me is kind of interesting because you go from writing to actually doing the editing piece. And that also feels like an interesting parallel to, for example, ascending into more leadership roles in a more traditional corporate um, environment, because you go from being fingers on keys exclusively to then steering and leading and refining the work of others I have to think that there was pretty significant parallels there also. Yeah, no, no, totally. I think, you know, I think the best managers uh, and the best leaders are the ones that have actually, you know, kind of been in the trenches, you know, like, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I'm in a sales leadership role and obviously, you know, there's not probably a lot of many, you know, sales leaders that haven't sold, but I think it's, you know, again, that feeling of having a number on your head you know, uh, of targets and quotas and that, and that pressure and uh, the pressure of putting an SOW together, like all those things, like as a leader, if, if you haven't really done that, and if you haven't done that a long time, you know, it, you're not able to provide the right support. You're not able to provide the right sort of context, um, to help your team sort of navigate those things. So yeah. And as, as an editor, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of like, you know, assessing the bigger picture and, and again, knowing what the readers need to know, knowing, um, you know, the nuances of the reporter that you're working with and kind of like how they craft words and things like that. Like it, it all, it, that's a great parallel. Um, yeah. You know, again, I think the best editors, the best broadcasters, you know, were the ones that were, you know, kind of behind the scenes and doing the the crappy work, you know, and I think the the, the same is true in, in business. Like you've got to, you know, you got to kind of pay your dues. A hundred percent. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and this is just for pure entertainment's sake, but what was, what is your favorite or craziest story you've ever written or edited or, you know, gotten a scoop on, you know, DC area. I have to think there's a ton of political intrigue and cool stuff happening in the space. So I'm very curious to hear. <laughs> Um, well, there's one, I have to do a little bit of a humble brag. Um, the, my record for bylines, uh, so like, you know, the, listen, this wasn't like the Washington post. Okay. This is, <laughs> yeah. 
I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to the Winchester star. It was a, uh, you know, a daily newspaper in Winchester, Virginia. So the circulation was about 30,000 people. So, but it was a great, you know, it's a great first job. But anyway, yeah. the record for me on bylines on the front page was 11 in, in oh, one, wow. in one issue. So I had 11 stories with my name on it. And that was just a random thing where I had a couple features that were going to be on the front. Um, couple political stories. Like, I think I covered, I covered something. So like, you can't do that obviously at a bigger paper, um, right. but it was just, I, I look back and I have like the best memories because you're just, you're just hustling. That's all you're doing is hustling and writing and hustling. So I, I like that sticks out at me. But then the funny thing is, is like in Winchester. So if you picture Virginia, you know, there's kind of like the triangle pyramid part of the state up top. Yeah. Winchester is right in that triangle. So it's, it's west of uh, DC by about 60 miles. It's south of like Maryland and it's east of West Virginia, right? Interesting. It's a great spot for bank robberies and, uh, <laughs> because like what these guys used to do is, you know, they hit a bank in Winchester and in 15 minutes they would be lost in the hills of West Virginia. Like they disappear. Right. So one of the craziest stories was, um, we, we get a, uh, we get a, we, you know, we had the, uh, you know, the scanner, the police scanner in the newsroom and, uh, you know, comes in bank robbery, you know, description of the suspect, like all these things. Well, literally within, um, five minutes, our photographer phoned in on the walkie talkie and he's like, you know, uh, you know, it was like something in the newsroom, something in the newsroom, you know, he had a, he had a code name or whatever. He's like, I think I see the bank robber on the interstate, you know, heading South. Right. So literally like the next day in the paper, uh, he has, he's a photographer of the newspaper next day in the paper. He has a picture of the, of the robber flying down the interstate, looking at the camera, like six minutes after he robbed the bank, it was just like this random coincidence that he saw the guy, saw the car that matched and he was able to like snap the pictures. And I was in the newsroom, like interfacing with the, the, the sheriff's department and the, you know, Virginia state police trying to figure out like where they were and like all the yeah. those things. So anyway, that was, uh, that was a memorable one. That's very cool. That's very cool. And now I, um, a number of people who've been on the podcast talked about like producing content as a really um, interesting way of spreading your brand, building your brand outwardly, right? Offering kind of disproportionate value to you know your network. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, given the fact that you have this skill set around being able to tell stories and and write, are you have you activated that at all in terms of creating content and thought leadership pieces around what you do today in terms of Salesforce? Uh, I wish I did more. So, uh, what I have done, I, you know, and again, I, I, I wish I had more, um, ideas and time, but, uh, you know, every, every now and then I'll, I'll post a blog on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. and so like a couple of those examples, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, obsessed with Ted Lasso. Uh, so the, the show on Apple TV plus and actually, also a big fan. yeah, one of his, one of his quotes actually is like, you know, be curious, not judgmental kind of going back to what we, um, what we were talking about earlier. So I wrote yeah. a blog about, you know, Ted Lasso and, um, and how that kind of changed, you know, my perspective about leadership. Um, I've written a, a couple stories about Salesforce and just like, so we're in this like really weird time, right. With, um, a war inflation, uh, you know, the markets are down, um, just all these crazy, you know, crazy things in the world, the pandemic, everything, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And um, 
so I wrote one, I wrote a blog on LinkedIn, I guess it was about a year ago where I just basically said, it was kind of like my thank you. It sounds really cheesy saying it out loud, but it was like my thank you note to Salesforce because it changed my life in terms of like giving me a career that I, I never anticipated. Yeah. And it also gave me a career that sort of was a Teflon to the uncertainty that that's happened. So like in 2008, when I was with a, uh, a Salesforce partner, business was booming and uh, there was so much demand still for Salesforce during the financial crisis that I'd never really experienced a lot of like the hardship and the, and the stress that a lot of people did at the time. And like, right. I'm completely grateful for that. Right. Um, and again, like, you know, no one knows what will happen uh, in this, in this kind of crazy time. But um, that blog was really a thank you to Salesforce for giving, again, giving me the opportunity to, to build a career, but also having it be pretty stable and, and actually something where there's a, there's so much demand and so much interest still. Um, yeah. Where again, I think there's opportunities for, for us as people and, and us as a team and us as, just uh, as an organization to, to really, you know, continue to grow with Salesforce. And, and so like, those are some examples of, of, of some, uh, some stories I've written. Yeah. But even as you mentioned that, you know, uh, this, the idea of having Salesforce as something that you've been able to grow your career in, but it providing some stability, it's because of the interesting part of its growth curve within which you kind of started your career. Right. right. And I, I think that if I extrapolate that even to my own experience in my career in data, you know, when I joined uh, the workforce about a decade ago and then started as an analyst, data was just something and analytics was just something that a lot of companies were starting to talk about in terms of like digital and web analytics. It was still relatively young, right? You know, data resources were just that. They were resources. They weren't strategic partners. And that is obviously course corrected majorly. And there's been a huge upswing. And even now at Publicis Sapien, as you know, data is now one of our five key capabilities under, under the speed model, right? And so... That's similarly, you know, I've enjoyed enormous growth and stability as data as, as a capability and focal area has grown and become a boardroom issue over the last decade. So as I think about how can you, know, you extrapolate this as a learning is really about as you progress, you know, you go along your career journey is finding those opportunities to, to, to be part of a technology or capability on its kind of upswing so that way you're not hitting it when it's plateaued, but rather when it's on its way there. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no, yeah, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, I think this shows you how smart I was though. Uh, <laughs> I, Cause it was all unintentional. So in 2005, I was in Colorado and I was at a, I had a good job. Like I was a corporate cubicle uh, job, but again, we were implementing Salesforce there. Um, and I had the opportunity to join um, this little startup called Blue Wolf uh, that was like the first implementation partner for Salesforce, right? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like I could have this steady, steady salary job uh, with, with this big company that I was at and, you know, make okay money, you know, but it was, it was very stable or I could jump in and I was like, listen, this Salesforce thing is probably a wave. You know, it's pr it probably has a two or three year kind of like, you know, life to it. And this is like in 2005, right? And I'm like, okay, I'll ride that wave and then I'll figure out something else. So I joined Blue Wolf and, um, and you know, again, like that was 2005. I mean, it, 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 it's just, it's a rocket that hasn't stopped, right? right? The Salesforce thing. And so like for the listeners and, you know, when I, when I talk to people, you know, you, you're going to have these forks in the road 
Um, so like, you know, the first fork for me was like, okay, journalism, but then like, okay, do I lead, you know, do I stay in journalism or do I, you know, go into technology? Okay. I'm going to take that because of like certain reasons it's being open and aware of these opportunities. Yeah. But then, yeah, like I could see, like you could see the Salesforce things just sort of like starting to snowball. I just didn't think, you know, 17 years later, I'd still be doing it. Like I had no idea. Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a reminder again for people to, to not be afraid of like, you know, taking that chance because it's not guaranteed, but, uh, you'll be rewarded one way or the other. And again, it's, um, yeah, it was just, it's, it's been a great, you know, a great ride. I want to build on some of that though, this idea of like openness to the opportunities and assessing them. And I know you kind of briefly mentioned that you, you know, you're starting a family and that, you know, the financial instability, um, or financial, like uh, potential of a more corporate or technology career was stronger than in journalism. And that's an obvious decision you had to make. Right. And so you made that, but then, you know, down the line, 2005, you're assessing an opportunity with Blue Wolf, like you said, startup, um, potentially riding a wave, maybe not as stable as the larger company that you had, but you did now have, you know, I assume this family and right. these obligations. And I wonder, you know, there's tons of people in similar situations, pretty good job, pretty good money, could use more, Would you know, uh, have this opportunity to do something a little bit more risky, but they need to weigh that against their obligations, right? So how, how did you consider that risk and what ultimately pushed you over the line to to step away from the stability and pursue, you know, something that maybe had more upside, but, but some, some more risk, you know, I've, I've had similar opportunities my way come my way. I have two young kids now and it's easy to fall back onto stability. Right. right? Well, I think it's, it's, it's like levels, right? So on one level I could have stayed, but I would have been really bored. Right. So like the boredom, you know, boredom, but yes, it's consistent and stable, but there's boredom, but like, trust me, like I, you know, at Blue Wolf, um, you know, they flew me to New York, uh, to, to interview, you know, there was an office and there were people in the office and, uh, you know, they weren't really missing payroll. Right. So like it was actually a thing. Like I, you know, for me, my, uh, my risk sort of tolerance, you know, that was probably the extent of it. Like I, I would not like me myself, I would not be comfortable going a little step further where it's like, you know, it's two guys, three guys right. and you're like, you know, cause you, I've got, you know, kids to feed and, and, and things like exactly. that. So like, but again, if you're single or, or younger or whatever, like maybe you can take those chances. So I think it's like, you know, and then again, I looked at people in the eyes during that process. I, you know, I was in their environment. I saw the excitement. Um, you know, I, you could just see that they, you know, it was a real thing. And so, um, so that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, yes, it's, it's, it's less, maybe less stable than what I have, but it's, it's stable enough. Yeah. Um, and then the upside and the potential was going to be, and I wanted to kind of be part of something new and, and, you know, help build something. And, um, you know, what's crazy too, it's like, and I could talk for an hour about my, my experience at Blue Wolf. Um, but I owe those guys everything. So like Eric Barrage, who founded it, uh, you know, that whole experience of like being part of that startup and, and mm-hmm. learning and growing with them and then them giving me every opportunity around, you know, along the way to, to take on more responsibility. Like I, you know, that was just like the best, the best experience. No, that's very cool. And, and, you know, as I, as I, 
kind of hear you articulate, you know, using the word like, like boredom and stuff like that in terms of what you were assessing across the two opportunities. I, I think that it is, it is a mistake to uh, underestimate the importance of like your happiness with the work, right. And satisfaction with the work and, you know, the stability is one thing, but if you become, you know, um, begrudging of the job and, and, and you're not in, in enjoying it, that's going to impact all other aspects of your life as well. Right. right. And, and kind of your emotional and, and mental state in those areas. So I, I, I do think that that cannot be under, um, uh, uh, prioritized in, in that sort of decision-making process. And I, I mean, you clearly you recognize that, right? Whether you have the foresight to think this is going to be a 15 yeah. plus year career now or not, um, you know, but then you did stay there for, for over 10 years, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, while you're there. And it, yeah, it was 15 years. Yeah. Which is, which is a pretty long stint. And, and, and as I assess like my own stint right now with Publis Sapient, just finished nine years. And I, I, I look at it day to day and I always think about it, particularly when other opportunities are placed in front of me. Like, do I still have opportunity for growth? Right. Do I still have strong leadership to, um, to learn from? Right. Do I have a team that I can easily collaborate with to deliver impact? Am I actually delivering impact? And I wonder, you know, across those 10 plus years, you ascended through a number of levels, right? You grew your your yeah. your own career and 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 career stages. It was it you know exactly that that you continued to have yeah. those opportunities, and and it was just an easy decision to to stay there for a longer term. I mean, I didn't take I literally didn't take it uh, an outside interview until like the, my last three months there, wow, because right? I didn't need to, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, there. Yeah, I didn't need to because I I had everything I had everything that I valued, right? So I obviously, you know, financially things were sort of always growing, which is important. Um mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to always do do something there. The responsibility always was changing and growing. Um and I think the most important thing is like the the people that you work with are everything, right? Like it, yeah. You you know, you don't have to be best friends, although like some of my best friends are from that, from that run yeah. not to be your best friends, but you, you have to like, like, like them. And I think, you know, trust them and, and feel like that we're all part of the same mission. And so literally I didn't, I mean, I didn't need to look around, you know? Um, and that's just, it speaks to like the culture and, um, just kind of how that whole, that whole thing came about. So yeah, I think it's, there's all these, yeah, everyone values different things, but you know, you know, for, for me, it's, it's really the people that you work with. And, uh, and again, the opportunity, cause like the, the, there's nothing worse than like a boring ass job. And I think like back to the point about when I joined Blue Wolf. So I was like, okay, I could be at this company and we could do Salesforce for this. It was like an office products company. So like you can't yeah. get more boring than office supplies. Yeah. But like, it was interesting. And like I said, stable, but then I was like, okay, I could join this other company and they're, and they're implementing Salesforce for banks and for retail companies and for professional services companies and for small companies and big companies. And they're, you know, I had the opportunity literally within six weeks to, uh, I, you know, I I was doing Salesforce work in the Netherlands. Um, I ended up, you know, going to Singapore and South Africa. And so like, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing what I enjoy, which is like learning this new technology and like helping customers take advantage of it. But now I can, I can learn so much more because, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm exposed to all these different business processes and different, you know, environments. So that was, uh, that was, that was really the driving force as well. 
Yeah, it's very cool. And then as you mentioned, kind of some of the global exposure, right? Uh, you kind of your your final role at Blue Wolf was a kind of North American leadership. Role. Yeah. But then now the role you play at Pupus Sapien is a global practice leadership role. Right. So was that possibly what kind of was super attractive to you in those last three months as you yeah. entertained and then ultimately took this opportunity? Yeah, no, I think... Um so there, yeah, yes. Uh, and there's really, I think a couple of things, uh, on why I chose publicist, which I think is, is interesting. So, so again, not to like beat the horse dead, but you know, unlike what I thought in 2005, like it's, it's been on a, uh, on a run much longer than three years. Yeah. They're going to continue to grow. Uh, there's their, their forecasts, they're expected to double in size in the next four years alone. So like, think about that, like the, you know, 20 years, to get to a certain uh, revenue number and they're going to double in the next four. A lot of that yeah. growth is going to be dependent on kind of these technologies uh, like commerce cloud, marketing cloud, things that like B2C focused companies uh, mm-hmm. are, are going to rely on. And uh, their acquisition strategy the last few years has really been focused on, you know, companies that provide these technologies. And so I was like, okay, I could, I, you know, I have this run in the Salesforce ecosystem. It'd be dumb of me to kind of like completely throw that away and like do something completely different, but I didn't want to do the same thing. And, uh, and Publicis Sapien sort of with its focus around, you know, marketing technologies, uh, you know, experience, B2C brand, uh, enablement, all, all those things. And then being part of Publicis group, which is the media company and the design and creative yeah. company for like all these giant brands. I was like, okay, this is interesting because, if I can help Publicis kind of build a, a very professional and material Salesforce practice, we can actually be a partner that's differentiated versus a lot of the other ones. While right. Salesforce is going to be dependent on these things for their growth over the next you know five or six years, and so so that was really like the the big uh, draw for me is like you know figuring that out. And, um, and really, you know, having an impact that aligns with where I saw, you know, and, and still see Salesforce growing, uh, and then the role itself. Uh, so, you know, actually since kind of COVID restrictions have, have lifted, I've had the opportunity to travel overseas a little bit this summer and, um, it's just, it's just really fun. You know, it's, uh, just again, a little bit different ways of working, but, um, I've enjoyed the people and, um, and just, Again, the momentum of Salesforce isn't just a North America sort of thing. It's it's definitely global. Yeah, and that's really interesting because you stepped into a global role really as we sh- the world shut down uh, with the pandemic, which is which is kind of wild because as you mentioned, you got a lot of excitement around the travel you were able to do while you were at Blue Wolf and the exposure that gave you and the learnings it unlocked. But then from there, you go into a global role. And you and you and you do that global role remotely, right? With with people for the better part of the last three years, right? And now it's kind of really expanding into kind of maybe what it would have been yeah. out of the outset. So I wonder, do you feel that that was that maybe helped you ease into like a global <laughs> responsibility as a result, or was it even, was it maybe even more challenging because you weren't able to be in those different places? I mean, it's hard to say. Like I I owe the team a lot of credit, so. Um... Uh, there's a gentleman, Steve Aiken, who, you know, uh, led the international practice. He was in London and then, you know, a lot of the team is in London. So actually, I think my, la- actually my second to last trip before the pandemic was actually in London because we had just bought this company, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a, actually a joint venture called Sapien I7, and they came uh, to be part of our team. That was like, I was over there like the first week of February, 2020. Um, little, you know, obviously little did we know what was going to happen, but like during, during the pandemic, it was just, you know, it was just weird. Right. Like I, yeah, it was just weird. Cause I'm like trying to help, but like, I'm not that helpful. Um, <laughs> right. You know, uh, but like, you know, credit to those guys for managing through it and, and keeping, you know, keeping the relationships and, you know, the sales motion to, to the extent that we could. So, you know, I can't, it's a, it, to be honest, it's kind of a blur, but I think, um, yeah. you know, and, and again, like the, the pendulum's completely shifted. So I've been to Europe now two or three times just in the last like two months, yeah. <laughs> which has been a little bit crazy, but, um, I I'm, I'm really glad to kind of like reintroduce myself to the people and uh, get, right. get to know them because again, we have a great team and, um, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's just good to see things open up. Yeah. And I think what's exciting about that is you obviously built up momentum and started to kind of hit the kind of run state with the team. And now you get this opportunity to like resurge momentum again right. because of the mobility and kind of the world being opened up. Um, so that, that must be pretty exciting. Uh, and I wonder maybe before we talk a little bit more about kind of what the vision is now, kind of as you started to hint at in terms of how the role Publis Sapien plays with this Salesforce practice amidst the larger Publis's group, maybe let's go way back again to when you talked about first doing, you know, earlier in your career, when you were starting out with Salesforce, going from those first couple of like, you know, five licenses of Salesforce and just building something out and exploring it to then doing the biggest Salesforce implementation that had ever been done. What was that moment like, right? Because that that had to, you were kind of like on the forefront, on the bleeding edge of this new product, right? And doing all of the the firsts really in terms of scale. Talk about how how that experience kind of helped shape maybe what happened further down in your career. Well, it it, it you know I talk about this a lot um, with folks. It's confidence. Mm. Like confidence is like so important. Um, it's so important in life. It's so important in sales. Um, you know, it's just so it's just so important. I think uh, that. So, like again having somebody say, you know, Salesforce, like no one knows Salesforce. Like, do you want a job? You know, kind of thing. I'm like, Oh, cool. Like I actually have a skill and a knowledge that's actually like kind of unique. So that that was a moment for me. And then, um, and then, yeah, I could actually like in that, in that role, I was an expert and like, I didn't, I didn't like seek to be an expert. It just kind of happened. And so like you talk about confidence, right. Um, and then just again, the various roles that I was able to have at Blue Wolf th- through the years, I probably wasn't ready for them in the traditional, in the traditional sort of like scenario. You know, I yeah. didn't like have to go through like crazy promotion evaluation, you know, sort of panels and, and things like that. It was just like, okay, you know, Jason, you're interested in this. We, you know, we we need this. Like, go go do it. And that right. that just gives you confidence, right? That like people would kind of entrust you and um, and believe in you. So, yeah, that's the biggest thing for me is like having that sort of humble, unintentional start to being part of like this big implementation where I was at. To then like you know joining a firm like Blue Wolf and then having these roles, it's it just comes down to confidence. Even though even if you're not ready, you know like you, you still need to kind of believe in yourself. And, uh, I guess the phrase is like, you know, fake it till you make it. But like, it's, it, I think it's more than that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think confidence is an enormous thing, right? Even when I think about like an approach to parenting and one that I take is instilling just 
enormous amounts of confidence in my two daughters from the outset, right? That, that if anything, they have the ability to fall back on that. And, you know, I think I found my confidence when I was, you know, a much younger, like child or teenager in sports, right? To your point, I happened to be as a circumstance of being six foot three at 11 years old, very good at basketball very quickly. Right. And that that was the thing that I leaned on, that no one could take that away from me. And in absence of being good at other things, I was very good at that. Right. And that was this kind of bolstering sense of confidence that helped me be, you know, maybe disproportionately confident in other areas of my life sooner than I otherwise would have been. And that almost feels like what happened for you. Right. With, With the opportunity to develop expertise in this, you know, humble way in something that then you were able to ex- expand on and really make a mark with and then, and then leverage that down the line. B- but with that confidence, this idea of like faking it till you make it, which I think is real, right? I, I do think it's real because there's always going to be a bit of that imposter syndrome for yeah. a while until you have one of those gut check moments like, oh, wait, I actually know all of this, right? And those are, I think, are really su- important milestones in developing that real confidence. But I've had this quote that has always resonated with me, this idea of... Um, you know, courage is fear that it's said it's prayers type of thing where it's like, even though you're confident, you can still be nervous because it's something you deeply care about and, and there's an enormous amounts of stakes or pressure or whatever. It's about how you manage that. And it feels like there's two things colliding here. Your ability to stay level and balanced and not get stressed as a result of your journalism career with then this kind of confidence you're able to develop with the way that your career journey kind of panned out. Do you find that those things kind of come together to really enable that confidence even now as you're scaling to global career stages and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. You, Cause you draw on your wins, you draw on your losses Yeah, and um, it's, I still don't eat, you know, we don't do like onsite presentations as much anymore, but like I still can't eat before a big presentation or a big whatever. Right. Yeah. Because I'm just like, I'm nervous. Cause like, I'm like, okay, you know, you know, it's just, it's just my routine. So, um, you think, well, you, you know, Jason, you're older now and you, you've been working for so long, like, you know, but it's like, no, it's like, you're, you, you want to show well and, um, and you can't, you know, I can't help but be nervous, but again, it's like, but you're there and you're in, you're, you're in the, the arena and you're, you know, yeah. going to the pitch. It's like, okay, let's go, let's go. We got this, you know? Um, so yeah. No, I, you, I love what you said around, for example, not eating before a presentation, right? Because I am the exact same way. Yeah. And what's funny is recently I went to a, a very close friend's wedding and his DJ and MC uh, bailed on him like with five days to go, right? And then so he was able to find a DJ substitute, but he didn't have an MC substitute. And he asked me, he's like, Peter, would you be willing to MC my wedding? This was five days to go. In the my meantime, God. I was like traveling to New York also. So it's not like I had time to prep, right? I didn't know stories about his family to share or anything like that to like make it super personal. But I was like, I mean, yeah, you need it. And I, I have a pretty good skill set of public speaking. I think I'll be able to figure it out. And I just kind of went off the cuff. But like, to your point, I got there and I'm like, I can't drink or eat. This feels like a presentation for work. almost like a pitch. The stakes are different in that it's not like my job on the line, but it's my like a a close personal friends wedding day on the line. Right. So the stakes are equal. And so I found like, I actually had to tell the waiters, I'm like, Hey, listen, don't take these plates away. Leave all this stuff here. I'm going to eat it later, but I, I, I got to stay empty because it's basically I had to treat it like a speaking engagement or like a pitch to be zeroed in and focused. So I was sharp and it, 
it made a big difference. Right. It made a big difference. Uh, have you ever found that the stuff that helps you be good at work, you're able to apply outside of your life too? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, all right. So it's maybe too much information, but you know, <laughs> talk about, you know, raising a family and stuff. And I, you know, I'm recently, recently divorced. So if I ever do a Ted talk, my Ted talk is going to be, you know, the, the applications of a sales professional to middle-aged dating. <laughs> oh, I love it. Like, you know, this could be its own thing, but like, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, activity leads to pipeline, you know, pipeline, <laughs> you know, you, you got to like qualify out early, you know, like all, you know, all these things. So, um, yeah. So yes, everything that I've learned as a, uh, mostly like I was a you know, I was kind of a consultant. I was a journalist, but in, in, in my sales profession, it literally, I can apply it, you know, um, to the, to the, this new dating world that, that I found myself in, which is kind of funny. Um, Anyway, but I could go on. I could go on about it. No, I, but I absolutely love that. And it, because it once again hammers home this idea that, you know, life outside of work and life in work is not about a balance. It's more of a continuum. And what you do in one flows into the other and back, right? And uh, the relationships you build outside of work and how you manage them help you manage relationships in work better. And this is just another perfect example, right? Like your activating skills that now are going to impact your personal life quite significantly and, and, and maybe get you to your whatever the objective is uh, at an accelerated rate. So I think I, I just, it's a fantastic, I think it's a, there's some, some levity to it, but I think it's another great example of exactly that, that it is very much a continuum. Um, from there, I, I'd love to then pivot back now, you know, uh, with the the Salesforce practice now, Pubis Sapient, the way it's being positioned in the group, right? It's still relatively new, right? And we've scaled it quite a bit over the last couple of years, also. So there's been constant change, right? right? Across markets, what what is what is the vision in terms of kind of the next five to ten years? How how is it going to look different than it does now, or how is it going to scale even further? And how are we going to continue to kind of differentiate it amongst our competitors, particularly? Yeah. So I think, you know, we have, um, you know, we have big, big aspirations. Um, so I think there's never going to be kind of a winner in a, in a, in, 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 in a loser in the context of like Salesforce partners, because I think the whole thing's growing. I mean, the, the yeah. total addressable market for Salesforce services is in the trillions. So like there's, it's just this giant pie and obviously we want to do good work, um, that's profitable, that's meaningful for our customers. But so like when I say there's no winners and losers, you know, there, there are rankings, right. And, and right. these rankings, you know, kind of ebb and flow, but you know, do we want to be a number one? Yes. Is that realistic? Probably not just because, uh, you know, some of, some of the, the bigger firms have a 10 year, 15 year head start on us. Right. But you know, can we be top five? Yes. Um, and I, and I think that, um, you know, again, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about the B2C focus and these technologies that enable those, uh, journeys and experiences, you know, commerce marketing, uh, are, are the, are the big ones. That's, that's kind of our wheelhouse. Um, yeah. that's where we've got a lot of capability. We've got a, a lot of like uh, great, uh, experience. So I think, you know, if, if in three years, uh, we can say, Hey, Publis Sapien is a top five partner in the Salesforce ecosystem that I think that's meaningful just because that will show that we've, you know, sort of ascended 
from, you know, lower rankings. Yes. But like we are doing digital business transformation at scale that is enabled in large part uh, with the Salesforce platform. Right. And I think, um, and it, you know, Salesforce doesn't do everything. Uh, a lot of these companies will will have Salesforce and maybe some competitive projects in the mix, and like we we get that. But like, you know, I think I think we are educating our sapient colleagues a lot uh, around the fact that like our customers are actually spending a lot of money and a lot of resources in 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 learning this platform, and we would be remiss if we didn't invest in it and include it as part of our overall, you know, strategy to help our customers be become more digital and become more customer focused. So I, I think it, it fits right into the whole sapient narrative. And, uh, and again, I think the sapient narrative fits right into where Salesforce uh, and, and how Salesforce is going to grow. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I'm very excited to kind of see all of this come to fruition. I think there's such incredible momentum across all the capabilities, all across all of our kind of global alliance partners. I'm really excited to see what the next three to five years looks like for, for Publes to Sabian, because I think it's just an exciting moment for the organization and for everybody involved and as well as for our clients. So um, you know, I think it's that's a really great sentiment and beautiful place to kind of leave off on the conversation. But Jason, thank you sincerely. I think this has been really good. Uh, and there's just so many learnings for people to pull out and apply to their own careers. And I honestly look forward to having a follow up conversation once we are in that top five and, and kind of see where things are at for you then. I appreciate you, Peter. Thanks for having me.